Well, good morning. I'd like to begin this morning with a story that I have shared part of in the last couple years, but most of you have not heard the rest of the story. And it relates to our subject today, what we'll be looking about in terms of what our God is like. Uh, it, it, this story is about the, the scariest day for me in high school. It was a day called Senior Day. So some of you maybe remember about Senior Day. Senior Day was a day in which the upperclassmen cut classes toward the end of the school year and they would hunt down the freshmen and terrorize them. And for some reason, the administration let them do this every single year, and I had heard these rumors about this senior day. And so even before I set a foot into high school, I was scared about senior day. I had heard that they would, for example, students would bring Nair hair remover and spray it on people's heads, and, and they'd give them swirlies, and I heard people would get beat up. I'd heard all these different stories, and for me, I think it was even a little bit more real because my very first day of school at this high school, which was very large, my very first class, math class, when I walked in, a couple guys seated in the back looked at me. One of them had a can in his hand as something that I thought might be Nair. And they said to me, on senior day, we're gonna hang you from the clock in the hallway. We're gonna get you on senior day. Because I was real small in high school. I was just very, very short. I was very young as well. And so I was afraid of it all year long, every time I thought about senior day. And so some of you have heard me talk about the fact that the day before senior day was to arrive, I asked my mom if she could drive me to school. And then I also happened to notice this huge guy of freshmen, but he was very, very big. And, and so I approached him the day before senior day and I offered to give him $5 if he would um, escort me to my first class. I kid you not, if you'll be my bodyguard, I'll give you $5. And, and I just prayed that he would be there. Senior day arrived. I was hoping to be able to cut the day, not go to school that day, but our parents insisted we go to school. And so I was dropped off, and the first person I saw was, was this bodyguard. And he was like, in that moment, to me, like an angel, really. It was just so comforting to see this big guy there and he was waiting for me. And, and so he walked me to my first class and, and he didn't even accept any money. And I was so encouraged to get to that first class. Now, most of you have heard that part of the story. It's what happened next though on the senior day that many of you have not heard. Of course, this was the class I'd been threatened on day one. So the moment I walked into the class, the guys in the back, again, with a can in hand, said, we're gonna get you right after the class is done. And I knew that they were serious about that. And so I sat in the front, which I always did, and I watched the clock. And just as it was getting close to the bell to ring, I discreetly put my books away because, of course, I was in the front. The teacher could see, but I, I needed to get a head start. So the, more, the moment the bell rang, I could shoot out the door, and that's exactly what I did. The bell rang, and I shot out the door, and, and because they were in the back, I did have a head start. They had to go through four rows of, of seats or whatever, and I started running down the hall. I looked behind me. They were running after me, and they were catching up because they were bigger than I was. And just at the point in which they might have caught me, a door in the hallway opened and out walked the principal of the school. 
He happened to walk right between us. These two guys skidded to a stop and they were kind of stuck behind the principal. And I just started walking really, really fast around the corner and I made it to my second class. And I thought, wow, that was so close. But I was spared. Second class was rather uneventful except somebody put a dissected frog on the teacher's desk. The teacher was trying to get somebody to fess up who did it, and I was afraid she'd pick on me. But nothing really happened, and then after that class, I was to go to the cafeteria, and as I walked out the door, my, my bodyguard happened to be there, and he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to the cafeteria. I said, I'll, I'll walk you there, and so I was really encouraged. You know, with this big guy by me, I wasn't afraid of anything, and I walked into the cafeteria, and I walked over to some friends who were seated around a a table there and I was uh, getting ready to sit down. I pulled out the seat and just as I was getting ready to sit down, an upperclassman from behind grabbed the chair and he sat in it. He was expecting, I suppose, that I'd fall right to the ground, but I was holding onto the table. And so he sat on the chair. What neither of us knew is that somebody had poured a bottle of perfume on that chair, a whole bottle of perfume. The moment he sat down, he yelled, he was soaked. He took off running out of the cafeteria. His back was just completely soaked and he smelled so nice. <laughs> and I had been saved, I had been spared. I just couldn't believe it. My worst class, apart from math class, was gonna be gym class. I was not looking forward to gym class. And the moment I showed up at gym class, I was grabbed by about five or six guys. I was dragged into the locker room and they went over to the showers and they turned on the showers and of course their intention was to throw me fully clothed under the spray of the showers and just as the water was starting to hit one of my shoes, the gym teacher showed up. I'd not seen the gym teacher in that class all year. I'd never seen him in the locker room and there he was at the right moment, at the right time and he was mad. He yelled at the guys that had grabbed me and told them that if anybody touched me through the end of the year, that they would get uh, an F grade or get expelled. I don't remember which of the two it was, but it was very serious. Nobody's to touch that kid the rest of the year. And I had been spared again, right in the nick of time. I just couldn't believe it. After class, the gym was located right by the exit door, and so I was waiting for my mom to pick me up and as I was standing there, I was grabbed by an upperclassman from behind. My arms were locked behind me and a, a friend of his pulled out a tube of something black. I don't know what it was, whether it was paint or whether it was makeup, I don't know what it was, but he took a huge gob of it and he put it on his two middle fingers and he went to swipe at my face. Whether intentional or not, I don't know. He missed. And he ended up swiping instead the guy that was holding me, which made him really, really mad. And so the guy let me go. And the two of them were chasing each other down the hall. And once again, at just the right moment, I had been spared. I was still waiting for my mom to come. I looked over and I saw a, a, a freshman student. There was on a phone, there was a phone right there. And I took one look at this kid, and this kid was one of the coolest kids in our class. He's one of the ones that if anyone could escape senior day, it would have been this kid. 
but I, I took a look at him, and I, I was shocked by what I saw. His shirt was ripped. He was soaked from head to toe. He had black whatever all over his face, and he was talking to his mom or dad, clearly crying and asking someone to pick him up. He did not want to ride on the bus home looking like that, I suppose, and the answer was clearly no. And when I looked over at that guy, that kid, I realized that that's what I would have looked like. Every single thing that, that he looked like, that's, that was, that's what could have happened to me, but time and time again, I had been, I had been spared. And so on the ride home in the car, when my mom came to pick me up, I sat there, almost broke down crying because I just realized how God had intervened for me. I'd been praying all year about this, 14-year-old kid asking God to protect me and, and save me. And, and some could say, well, it's just all a coincidence, all these things happening. No, it was not a coincidence. God intervened at the exact right moment every single time, all day long, so that nothing happened to me, and I, I just was amazed by it. And so, when I got home, although I'd never journaled in my life before, I wrote down the story, every detail, how God had taken care of me. Today, we're gonna to continue this series, The More You Know. It's a series about what God is like as he's revealed through the pages of the Bible. The first week of the series, we talked about the fact that God exists, that, that ours is not a blind faith. There's a lot of evidence out there why we believe what we do. And then I talked about the love of God and how we can experience the love of God in our lives. And last week, I talked about the holiness of God and how we believers in Christ are, are also to be holy. We're to be set apart from the world in which we live, the society. We're to be different as Christians. But today I want to talk about what I would call the omni-attributes of God, the omni-God. It's not really a word, but of all the qualities or attributes that help define what God is like, the ones that are, to me, most amazing are the ones that begin with this word, omni. We recognize, for example, that God is omnipotent, omnipotent. He's called in Scripture the Lord God Almighty. He is all powerful. Second, he's called omniscient, omniscience, omni-knowing. He's the all-knowing God. He knows everything, and he doesn't just know everything that's happened or will happen. He knows everything that's potentially going to happen. He knows every potential situation. And then God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And when you put these three qualities together, we come up with this idea that I want as our takeaway today. Because of who he is, God is able. Because of who he is, God is able. You're able to do what? Well, he's able to do whatever he wants, of course. But for us, he's able to help us. He's able to intervene. He's able to come to our aid. He's able to give us what we need and, and help us understand various things. Now, I want to talk about each of these separately, each of the individual omni-attributes, and I want to start with omniscience. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, a Dr. Elwell, writes about omniscience. It's God's infinite knowledge and understanding of things past, present, and future. God's infinite knowledge and understanding of things past, present, and future, and I would add to the definition, although it feels a little proud to do so, but I would add, and everything that's potential. 
anything that's possible, everything that is plus everything that's possible, God knows it all. Let's look at some verses that talk about the omniscience of God. Psalm 147, verses four and five. We read, he counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. I'm amazed as I reflect on this because there are a lot of stars out there. This past week, I went to a website called space.com. It indicated that our galaxy, the Milky Way, has between 100 and 200 billion stars, with a B. Other websites say it's a lot more than that, between 250 billion plus or minus 150 billion more. That's a lot of stars, and, and yet it's, it's just one galaxy. The site continued by saying there are 10 trillion galaxies out there with an average of 100 million stars each, and they put out a number there that just went on and on with all the zeros. I have trouble with my kids' names. My God knows the names of every one of the stars. I do, by the way, hope that when we get to heaven that we can explore just a little bit. You know, going to get the kind of this glorified body uh, that's kind of material but not at the same time. I would just love to visit some of these stars that God has created. I mean, we have a whole eternity to do it and an awful lot of stars. I think it would be a lot of fun, but God knows everything. One of the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, Job, was confronting God about the things he was facing in life. He decided that God didn't know what he was doing in Job's life. He confronted God about it. God begins to answer him in Job 38. In verse four, we read God's response. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? For the next several chapters in the book of Job, God continues. Do you know where I keep the snow? Do you know how I direct the lightning bolts? Do you know about the animals that I've created and why they are the way they are? And God lists different ones. Tell me if you know. God kept challenging Job. And when you get to the end, Job just can't say a word. He just like, I, 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 was, I, knew noth- I know nothing. Because our God knows. Now normally, I save the applications to the end of my talk, or really I hope that the Holy Spirit is working in your life on various applications as you're listening, but, but this morning, since we're dealing with three different attributes, I wanna give you some applications as we go along. The first one is this, that our God is able to give us wisdom then and knowledge. God's, God's able to tell us things and reveal things through the pages of the Bible, but also through the Holy Spirit. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 2 and verse 6, he said, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And in James 1 and verse 5, we read, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. Now the next verse says, but you better ask in faith. 
I've seen God do this before on some occasions that were pretty amazing to me at the time. I remember a time, for example, when one of my kids was doing something and I had no idea the right thing to do in response. I just didn't know if it, was, it required a hard response or a soft response. I just did not know what to do. And the thought popped into my mind, well, ask God. And so I prayed about it. I said, Lord, I, I just need your wisdom and your insight. And immediately an, an idea popped into my mind and I thought, that's it. It was exactly the right answer. It was exactly what to do. And our God is able to do that. Now, oftentimes, God won't reveal certain things to us because he wants us to study them for ourselves and dig deeply. He won't always give us the answer just like that. I read about a professor who had a student that was ill-prepared as he took this midterm exam. I mean, it was an exam over everything they'd covered up to that point, and the student looked at the exam and realized he didn't know any of the answers, so he put it at the bottom, God knows. Merry Christmas. He got his test back from the professor. It said, God gets a hundred, you get a zero. Happy New Year. <laughs> but our God is able. He's able to, to teach us. But there's something else about the omniscience of God, and that is that to me it communicates he's right. Whatever God has revealed to us through the pages of the Bible, he's right. And if it's different than what I believe, I'm wrong. He knows. He knows, and so he, when he says certain things are good and certain things are right and certain things are pure or certain things are not, I take him at his word. He knows what's best. When I look at, well, God, why did you do this? Or why did you allow the Israelites to do this? Or why did you even command the Israelites to do this? I think God knows. But a second attribute of God is his omnipresence. Dr. L. Well defines omnipresence as the aspect of God's infinity in which he transcends the limitations of space and is present in all places at all times. Now this one is a little bit hard to get a hold on. He's present everywhere at all times. Now let me mention up front here right away about this one. The fact that God is everywhere does not mean God is everything. And so there are people out there that say, yeah, the God is in the tree. You know, people begin worshiping creation. No, God is separate from everything he's created. That's very, very clear throughout the pages of the Bible. The tree is not God. The river is not part of God. Creation is not part of God. He's holy, set apart from what he created. But he is everywhere. The psalmist in King David wrote in Psalm 139, 7 through 12, he said, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the place of the dead, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, well, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like day. Darkness and light are like to you. So get another reference from the book of Jeremiah. There's a phrase that appears three times, though I need to define the phrase. The phrase is the Lord's declaration. And the phrase means basically, thus says the Lord, or this is the word of God. But let me read the verse, Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. 
God says, am I a God who's only near? This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who's far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. And in Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. Now, what does the omnipresence mean for us as believers? Well, first of all, it means you're never alone. Our God is always near. He's always with us. He's even near unbelievers. Paul talked about that in the book of Acts. He was speaking to a crowd in the city of Athens, and he says, God is not far from any of us. He's everywhere, always, at all times. And that should be an encouragement to us. I remember the first time this came home for me, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it was my very first trip to Honduras, and that trip was a disaster. I went alone. I was going to check out the idea of starting missions trips down in Central America, and I went alone, but I, for reasons beyond my control, I ended up in a city where nobody was waiting for me. And for several hours, I ran into no one that spoke any English, so I had to get by with my Spanish, and I was scared to death. It was nighttime. Because of a storm, the lights were out in the airport except the emergency lights, and I stood out there with my suitcases, wondering, what am I going to do? Nobody can pick me up. Nobody knows I'm in this particular city. It was the second most dangerous city in the whole country, and there I am, and know nobody, and have nothing. And in that moment, I looked up and saw the Milky Way. It looked exactly like the Milky Way looks from my porch. And God could not have said it more loudly to me. I mean, it wasn't verbal, but it couldn't have been any more clearer to me. God said, I'm here too. The same God who created the Milky Way from your home that you see there is here with you as well. And God was with me. And I was able to manage to get to a hotel and sort things out. But our God is, is here and he's with us. But there's something else that we should think about when it comes to the um, omnipresence of God and that is that, that we need to remember the fact that he's here wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And to me, this captures a little bit of the idea from the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord, you know. In both Proverbs and Psalms, it says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or a reverence for God is the beginning of wisdom. And to me, uh, the idea behind the fear of the Lord is being mindful he is with you wherever you are, whatever you do. And we can get away with things from people they don't see or know, but God does. And I think we should be mindful of that. The third omni-attribute of God I want to look at is that he's omnipotent. Elwell defines omnipotence as God's unlimited authority to bring into existence or cause to happen whatever he wills. God could bring into existence, cause to happen whatever he wills. Now, I think sometimes we misunderstand this particular attribute because it doesn't exactly mean God can do anything. It does and it doesn't. You say, well, what do you mean it doesn't mean that? Well, there are some things God can't do. For example, God cannot sin. It's impossible for God to sin. It's against his character. It's against his nature. God cannot sin. I'm grateful for that. I would hate the fact that I, I get up to heaven and God said, I was just lying about that. <laughs> You're going to the other place. You know, what if, what if our God could, could sin? I'm so glad he can't. 
It's impossible. It's also, by the way, impossible for him to create a rock so big that he couldn't lift it. <laughs> he just, it's an impossibility. And so those inherent impossibilities, which are kind of silly, but they, 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 they can't happen. But apart from that, God's power is without limit. And so Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 32, 17, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power, and with your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. Of course, creation should be the first sign for us that, that indeed God is all-powerful. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11:3 3 wrote, by faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. I find this remarkable, that God just speaks things into existence. The things you see come from what is invisible. God's very word is his power to bring into existence things that never existed. And Jesus himself said this about God in Matthew 19, 26. We read, Jesus looked at them and said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So why do we care about the omnipotence of God? Well, it means he's able. It means that he's powerful enough. He's able to intervene in our lives. He's able to help us in various things we face. Paul wrote to the Ephesians that, that our God is above and able to do above all that we could ask or even imagine. And this is true of our God. Now, sometimes he chooses not to for whatever reason. I began with a story though this morning and as I was thinking of that story, I came to mind because of these attributes, because I realized that, that God was with me that day. I realized God knew exactly what was gonna happen at exactly the right time, and he was all powerful to bring it about. And I walked away with that saying, I've got an amazing God. Now again, sometimes God says no, and when that happens, I think we need to then look at his omniscience. We need to say, okay, God, I, I know you can do this, and I know you're here with me, but for whatever reason, if you say no, I will trust that you know what is best. So let me ask you this morning, what do you need today? Do you need God's presence? Some of you just need to trust that God is with you in whatever you're facing. Some of us need God's power in our lives. Some of us need wisdom or knowledge that only God can provide. Because of God and who he is, he's able. And in Hebrews 11:6, we read now, without faith it's impossible to please God for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Let's believe in him and trust in him and believe that he'll reward us for seeking him. Falling on my knees, heaven help me, 
Heaven help me when I can't feel you near and I can't hear you speak. I'm falling on my knees. Heaven help me. Heaven help me. Help me. begin to comprehend all that you are. We know that you're all-powerful, all-knowing, that you're all-present. I love the fact that because of your omnipresence that we could be anywhere and that you could care for each of our needs, Lord. And we're grateful that we can call out to you and you will answer us and that you care so deeply for us. Thank you also for your son, Jesus through whom we can have eternal life and because of him that we can have a relationship with you. How amazing it is that we can have a relationship with the eternal God who is so mighty, so powerful and yet a God who's loving and holy too. So we're grateful to you and help us, oh Lord, to remember who you are as we face various things in the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.